0: Brothers and sisters, our text this morning is 2 Samuel 6, verses 16 through 23. And we'll read that again. 2 Samuel 6, 16 through 23. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. Then he distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men. To everyone, a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. Then David returned to bless his household. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself so David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord, and I will be even more undignified than this, and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maid servants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. So far. Brothers and sisters, the preacher in Ecclesiastes tells us, better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Many of you have probably experienced the truth of these words. You undertake a project with excitement, patiently awaiting its completion, and when that project comes to an end, you have reason to rejoice. You might apply these words to the building of a new house. You have a plan, and each step of the way, you see the building emerge step by step. And for most of us in this world of instant gratification, it's hard to wait. But patience will ensure that every part of the building is built correctly. In the end, as you move in, you have reason to rejoice at the completion of your fine new home. We see something similar in the book of Samuel. The Lord is building a house for his servant David. Not of bricks and mortar, but a household or a dynasty. Second Samuel 6 relays to us the final step in the removal of the old dynasty of Saul and the establishment of a new and better kingship under David. All through the pages of Samuel, we read how David patiently awaited the fulfillment of God's promise. It gives David and the people of Israel reason to rejoice that at long last the Ark of God was being restored to its rightful place in Israel. In fact, it gives us reason to rejoice. Therefore, I preach to you God's word under the following theme and points. Having taken his rightful place in Israel with the return of the Ark, the Lord and acts his plan for the kingship by blessing the house of David, by removing the house of Saul, and finally by redeeming the house of Israel. Our text begins in verse 16 where we observe two strikingly different responses to the arrival of the ark in Jerusalem. We read, now as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Two questions quickly jump to mind. First, why was David so exuberant in his worship before the Lord? And secondly, why was Michael so put off by her husband's excitement? To answer the first question, we need to understand the significance of the Ark of the Lord in the history of God's redemption. The Ark was not just some fancy box that belonged in the tabernacle of the Lord. No, the Lord Himself was enthroned between the cherubim, as we read in the beginning of 2 Samuel 6. There it says, The Ark of God, whose name is called by the name, of the Lord of hosts, who dwells. Between the cherubim. This was the same ark that had resided in the tabernacle in the most holy place where the presence of God was in the midst of his people. Since the tabernacle was set up in Exodus 40 until the fall of the house of Eli in the beginning of 1 Samuel, the ark had remained in the tabernacle. God dwelt among his people and they had lived under his blessing. Even in the midst of their oppression, that was often ushered in by their own disobedience, God had blessed his people with deliverance time and again. We read about it all through the book of Judges. But with the fall of the house of Eli, this had come to a tragic end. The ark had been captured by the Philistine and the people mourned its loss. Their sentiments were expressed well by Phinehas' dying wife, who named her son Ichabod, meaning the glory has departed from Israel. And although in the following chapters we read about the return of the ark from the Philistines, the ark, the very presence of God, does not return to the center stage. We would think that after the people had mourned, For the loss of the ark, they would be eager to live in the presence of the Lord under his blessing once again. But the ark is sitting off on the sidelines in the house of Abinadab on the hill. And in time, the Israelites go one step further. They don't reestablish the ark to its rightful place, but demand a king to rule over them. The Lord responds that the people have rejected me from being king over them. God was their king, but the people didn't want him. They wanted an earthly king. And we see the patience and the long-suffering of our loving God. He gives the people what they want. A king like all the nations around them. Saul was a man of royal bearing, having wealth and stature, being from a wealthy family. He was handsome and tall, a sight to behold. First Samuel 9, verse 2 says, There was not a man among the people more handsome than he. This was a king the people could follow, a man after their own heart. And the Lord in his mercy says to the people, If both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But beloved, it was not well. Saul shows that he was not a man after God's own heart. Before going out to meet the Philistines in battle, he disobeys the Lord by offering burnt offerings and peace offerings that were to be presented by the prophet Samuel. And as a result, the God chastises Saul. He says, you have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord your God commanded you. And further into the book of Samuel. We read that Saul's failure to utterly destroy the Amalekites and their possession was in direct violation of the Lord's command, so that the Lord regretted making Saul king. If Saul had only acknowledged the Lord as the true king of Israel by living in obedience to God's command, then the Lord would have established his house as an eternal house. But considering Saul's disobedience, it's not surprising that the ark remained on the sidelines. Israel and her king had not acknowledged the true king of Israel who resided between the cherubim upon the ark. But all this was going to change with the coming of a king after God's own heart. And we meet that king in the person of David. This time God does not choose according to the desires of his people. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so he chooses a man after his own heart. And in the following chapters, we see David's rise to power. It's striking that he does not take matters into his own hands, but patiently waits for the Lord to establish him upon the throne, just as he promised. He does not raise his hand against Saul, the anointed of the Lord, seeking to live in submission to his heavenly king. And the Lord is indeed faithful to his promise. Saul's reign comes to an end on the battlefield with the Philistines when he takes his own life, making the way clear for David to ascend to the throne, first of Judah and then of all Israel. And after capturing the Jebusite city of Jerusalem, David establishes his capital there, calling it the city of David. And through all his victories and his rise to power, David never forgot who had made it all possible. Second Samuel 5, verse 12 says, So David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. And that brings us back to the ark, It was natural that a king who acknowledged the blessing of the Lord would want the ark where the Lord dwelt among his people restored to its rightful place of prominence. David, the chosen king of Israel, wanted his kingdom to live under the blessing of their true king once again. What could be more desirable than that? Yet in David's haste, to bring up the ark, he neglected to follow the prescribed method for doing so. As we read in 1 Samuel 6, they put the ark on a cart, just like the Philistines had years ago and with similar results. The Lord had struck down some of the men of Beth when the ark had first returned from the Philistines because they had not handled the ark properly. And We see the same thing happen with Uzzah who stuck out his hand to steady the ark upon the cart as David brought it up. God's presence was attached to the ark, and he was holy. No unclean thing could come into his presence and live. The ark was to be carried upon the shoulders of the priests, a show of respect and esteem. The dwelling place of their God was to be held up, and as a result, The event that started with joy ended in tragedy. Our reading informs us that after this, David was afraid of the Lord. He wondered how the ark could be brought up to Jerusalem. You could imagine his disappointment as he opted to take the ark aside to the house of Obed-Edom. After the death of Uzzah, David was unsure about the Lord's intentions. Would he bless his house, or would he be struck down because of the presence of God's holiness? But three months later, David learns that the house of Obed-Edom was experiencing the blessing of the Lord. We need to stop here and consider what that meant. To be blessed by the Lord was to live in His abundance. He is the fount of life and goodness. Deuteronomy 28 reminds us what that looks like. Here it says, If you obey the voice of your God, blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, And blessed shall you be when you go out. That's what's happening in Obed-Edom's house. The Lord did not strike him. No, he blessed him. And that was exactly what David wanted. To live under the blessing of the Lord. And so when David hears the reports, he goes down to take up the ark. But this time, he makes the necessary arrangements. He recognizes the holiness of the Lord. And we learn from the parallel account in First Chronicles 15 that David makes extensive preparations to have the ark brought up according to the pattern of the Lord. And then the day came for the ark to come up to Jerusalem. Imagine the anticipation, the presence of the holy, all-powerful and infinite God, the only source of all blessing was returning to its rightful place of authority within Israel. With his appointed king at the forefront of the procession. It gave David reason to dance. It gives us reason to dance, brothers and sisters. Because God's blessing upon the house of David was a blessing upon all those who look to God for their salvation Because the blessing upon the house of David pointed to the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It pointed to Christ in two ways. First, the ark represented God's presence among his people. Just like our Lord and Savior came to dwell in the midst of his people. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means God with us. This in itself was a blessing worthy of the exuberant dance of David. But there's more. Secondly, David was blessed to serve as a type of the great king to come, displaying the threefold office of prophet, priest, and king, a type that pointed to Christ. It's clear that God had placed David as king over Israel and as prophet He proclaimed God's glory through his song and dance before the ark. And finally, when he dances before the Lord in the linen ephod, he wears the garment of a priest. 1 Chronicles 15.27 says, David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, as also were all the Levites who were carrying the ark, and the singers, and Chenaniah the leader of the music of the singers, and David wore a linen ephod. And so, brothers and sisters, we see the ark of the Lord and David, the symbol of the great messianic king to come, entering the city of Jerusalem. And we realize that it is the future coming of Christ that's being proclaimed and celebrated in the streets of Jerusalem that day. And when we look forward to the New Testament, we find a similar scene involving our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the triumphal entry. The people of God rejoiced with the coming of their Savior and King to the city of Jerusalem. They spread their cloaks and palm branches on the ground before Him in great joy and celebration. Mark 11, 9 and 10 says, Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Beloved, the Israelites rejoiced that the ark where their Lord was seated came to dwell in the midst of the people. But there was still a separation. David housed the ark in a tabernacle or a tent because the people's sin prevented them from coming into the presence of their holy God. But with the coming of our Savior to Jerusalem, That changed. When He died, our sins were paid in full, and the temple curtain was torn so that we might enter into the holy presence of God. Our glorious King has come to dwell in the midst of His people, and He has made His dwelling place among us. Our holy God now dwells in each and every one of us through the person of the Holy Spirit. We have even more reason to celebrate for such a wonderful salvation. And that brings us back to the question at the start of the sermon. Why was David so exuberant in his worship before the Lord? Now we know. God was busy proclaiming his plan for the salvation of his people. And David was blessed to be an integral part of that plan. What a blessing. It made him dance. And yet, there were those who just didn't get it. Michael Daughter of Saul. Didn't understand what all the fuss was about. And that brings us to our second question. Why was Michael so put off by her husband's excitement? And the answer will be given in our second point. The Lord enacts his plan for the kingship by removing the house of Saul. Verse 16 of our text suggests that Michael is more than just a little annoyed at David. No, it says she despised him in her heart. The Greek here is very strong. The word for despise is often used in Scripture when one disobeyed the commandment of the Lord, regarding it as of no consequence. In fact, this word is also used in 2 Samuel 12 when We read the account of David in his act of adultery with Bathsheba. David is said to have shown contempt for the Lord. This is how Michael feels about her husband leaping and whirling before the Lord. But given what we've already heard, how could David have done otherwise? The blessing of the Lord's presence had come to Jerusalem through which David... And all of Israel would be blessed. David understood this. And as the king of a nation of priests, he takes up the priestly task of blessing the people. They would share in the immediate benefits of having God dwell in their presence and from the leadership of God's appointed king. But they would also share in the benefits of the great messianic king to come. David wants that blessing for his own household as well. And so in verse 20, we read that David returned to bless his household. But what does he encounter? Michael, his own wife, sarcastically showing her contempt for the Lord's anointed king. It's striking that three times in our text, Michael is referred to as the daughter of Saul. He's not referred to as David's wife. Or by some other title, but the daughter of Saul. Scripture wants us to associate Michael with the house of Saul. Saul showed no hesitation in lifting his hand against the Lord's anointed in his repeated attempts to kill David and secure the kingdom for himself and his descendants. He seemed oblivious to the fact that the Lord had told him through the prophet Samuel that the kingdom would be taken away. But that didn't stop Saul from attempting to retain the kingdom through his own efforts. Michael's complaint is founded on the same attitude of self-promotion as her father's. You can hear the sarcasm dripping from her lips. How glorious was the king of Israel today. Uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Some have concluded that David's attire was revealing and therefore shamefully inappropriate. But this position can hardly be maintained. First Chronicles 15 indicates that David was wearing the same type of linen robe as those carrying the ark and singing before it. Such linen robes were specifically made in order to cover the priest's nakedness as stipulated in Exodus 28.42. You shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh. This ensured that the priests complied with the command of Exodus 20.26 20, not to expose themselves when they went up to the altar. In addition, if David's garments were revealing, then so were the garments of all the Levites and the singers, which would have made the event a rather sordid affair. No, no. The real reason she is upset is that David had taken off his royal attire and made himself like one of the common people. The New King James Version uses the word base. In other words, she's saying, you had an opportunity to promote yourself in the eyes of the people and to receive all kinds of honor and glory. But what did you do? You showed yourself to be nothing more than a commoner. And that's how the people are going to see you. Your servants are going to see you as nothing but their equals. She's thinking like her father. David responds It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. I can just imagine what was going through David's head. Don't you understand? Your father's approach cost him the kingdom. He wanted to do it his own way. That's why I ended up here. God chose me to lead his people. And I'm not going to resort to the failed approach of your father. No, I will celebrate before God, showing my submission and my humility before him. I was right to take off my kingly robes in deference to the true king who sits between the overshadowing wings Of the cherubim upon the ark. And he goes on to say, I will make myself more undignified than this. In other words, I will humble myself before my God even further. And he goes on to say, and will be humble in my own sight. David wants to make it clear to Michael that he would not lift himself up in the eyes of the people. But rather, he would see himself as the humble servant of the Lord. She might not see it, but the servant girls would understand. They too had danced in humility before the Lord in great joy. They would share in God's blessing, but Michael would not. Michael's rejection of the Lord's anointed was a rejection of God's blessing as well. The Lord, the blessing of the Lord was a blessing of abundance, but our text says, Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. The text does not give us all kinds of details about how that happened. But it tells us why it happened. Michael showed contempt for the Lord's anointed king and the blessing that he would bring for God's people. She would not share in the fullness of that blessing. The Lord's house would not be built through her, ensuring the removal of Saul's house from the line of the coming Messiah. God wanted a humble king, one after his own heart. And isn't that the kind of king we observe in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Although he arrived in Jerusalem with the shouts of Hosanna, it didn't take long before the people drew the conclusion that this wasn't the kind of king that they'd been looking for. No, they wanted an earthly king. To restore the splendor of Israel, not the humble servant that submitted to the will of the Father in heaven. Pilate said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. And so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. And so Jesus humbled himself in the sight of the people and in the sight of the Father, submitting to the humiliation of a shameful death on the cross. Many rejected him because he was not the kind of king they thought he should be. But the lowly, his true servants, who rejoiced at his coming and placed their trust and hope in him, they would hold him in esteem for what he would do on the cross. They would share in the redemption of our Savior, And that brings us to our third point. The Lord enacts his plan for the kingship by redeeming the house of Israel. As I mentioned earlier, David knew that the Lord was exalting his house for the sake of God's people. And it was fitting that in his priestly office, he sacrificed to the Lord as the ark went up to Jerusalem. Although it was unlikely that David performed all the sacrifices himself, he ensured that proper sacrifices were being offered, both burnt offerings and peace offerings. The burnt offerings were to make atonement for the sins of the people, while the peace offerings, also known as fellowship offerings, emphasized the people's desire to be in fellowship with their God. And in our text, there's a close connection between the offerings and the blessing. Following the offerings, David blesses the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. David stands as God's representative to his people, a foreshadowing of the mediator to come, extending God's blessing of salvation to his people. The blessing of the Davidic kingship would be the assurance that sin would be atoned for and a renewed fellowship with God was coming. And our text tells us that all of Israel shared in the communal meal that followed, a sign that together as God's people, they shared in the blessing that David had proclaimed. The New King James Version states that both men and women, each one received a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. The meaning of the word translated as piece of meat likely means a cake of dates. But in either case, the meaning would be very similar. The fellowship offering allowed much of the meat to be eaten in a communal meal that displayed the people's fellowship with God. While fruit represented the abundance of God's blessing in which the people would share. And having been blessed, our text goes on to say that each one departed to his house There's a sense of contentment and well-being with this conclusion, brothers and sisters. They had come to celebrate the return of the ark to its rightful place in the midst of God's people. God's presence was again at the center of life in Israel. And their merciful and gracious God had given them a king after his own heart. Who had led them in a celebration before their God. Here was a king who had blessed them with the promises of salvation and who had invited them to share in the communal meal. His kingship pointed forward to the messianic king to come. They even shared in what our Lord and Savior would accomplish on the cross. They went home full. Blessed by the Lord. Brothers and sisters, how much more can we live in the assurance of that blessing? What was promised to God's people upon the return of the ark has been fulfilled. The messianic king who was both God and man came to dwell in the midst of his people. He humbled himself in the sight of all the people and in the sight of God, suffering the shame and contempt of the cross so that all his children might share in his blessing of atonement and fellowship. The fulfillment of this blessing means the redemption of God's people, the household of faith. Let Michael's contempt for this blessing be a warning to us all not to live in the pride of sin, seeking our own glory, because then we may not share in the fullness of God's blessing. No, let us humble ourselves before God by living a life of thankful praise for such a wonderful gift of salvation. We too have reason to dance and leap before the Lord because we too look forward to the final return of our King so that we might take our place in the great assembly of God's elect in the heavenly Jerusalem described in Revelation 7. Behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes. With palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. With such a great deliverance on our horizon, we too can go home today content under God's blessing. Amen.